Professional wrestling, like real life, is full of surprises. Hi everyone, it's Freddie Prinze Jr. And it's no surprise I can talk wrestling all day, any day. Kind of like how State Farm agents can talk insurance and help you choose the right coverage. When it comes to important insurance decisions, let State Farm support you with the coverage you need backed with 24-7 support. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts A radiophonic novella, Locatora Radio, hosted by Mala Munoz and Diosa Fem. Hola, hola, locamores. Welcome to season four of Locatora Radio, Por Casteras Peligrosas, Wanted for Crimes Against the Patriarchy. We interrupt our regularly scheduled programming to bring you Quarantine Confidential, a special pandemic broadcast about our experiences with quarantine and COVID-19. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. Our intention behind this mini-series is to archive our experiences during this global coronavirus pandemic. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey. Last time on Quarantine Confidential, we interviewed Elizabeth Gomez, author, filmmaker, about her work, her published book, Chaos Cosmos. So go ahead and check out that episode. That was Capitulo 90. Uh, and give it a listen and let us know what you think. Give us a comment. You can tune into that episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Audioboom. 
All right, y'all. And we're super excited for this capitulo, capitulo 91. We have a very special guest, an award-winning journalist for the second half of this episode. But before that, we want to remind y'all about a couple things here at Locatora. Uh, first off, if you haven't already, head over to our website, locatoraradio.com, or the link in our bio on Instagram to subscribe to our newsletter, Besitos. Remember that you can become a patron of Locatora Radio. Head to patreon.com, hit up the Locatora page. You can get benefits like ad-free listening. You can be added to our close friends list on Instagram, uh, invited to special film screenings, digital and remote, of course, and discussions um, on Zoom. So you can... uh, Head to Patreon to get all those goodies. And remember that we're on IG Live every Thursday at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for our Oye Locas IG Live segment. And if you are looking for a Findom drain and aspire to be our human wallet, escort yourself to our Venmo, locatora-radio. Remember that this is still an indie podcast and all donations are welcomed. If you you know, are looking for one-time donations and the Patreon doesn't necessarily work for you, Venmo is always a great way to support your favorite Latinx creators. And again, the Venmo is locatora-radio. And remember to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at locatora underscore radio, where we give you even more free content in addition to the free podcast that we provide to the world. So you can go ahead and give us a follow and get 15% off your purchases from Latina-owned makeup brand Viva Cosmetics. Head to vivacosmetics.com and use our affiliate code Locatora Radio 15 Additionally, y'all know that at Locatora, we are huge advocates of therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you are struggling and seek and are seeking options for therapy, please go to trybetterhelp.com slash locatora and receive 10% off of your first month. It's a really great option for remote therapy as we are still in a pandemic. And now, honestly, without further ado, we're going to introduce our iconic, legendary interview guest, Maria Hinojosa. And uh, we're just going to let the interview do all the talking. We interviewed Maria about her new book, Once I Was You. We talk about all kinds of things. We talk about motherhood. We talk about sex. We talk about relationships growing up. We talk about weed and cannabis. And yes, we talk about WAP with Maria Hinojosa. Diosa, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about Maria's background for those who maybe are not as familiar Absolutely. So for 25 years, Maria Hinojosa has helped tell America's untold stories and brought to light unsung heroes in America and abroad. In April 2010, Hinojosa launched the Futuro Media Group with the mission to produce multi-platform, community-based journalism that gives critical voice to the voiceless by harnessing the power of independent media to tell stories that are overlooked or underreported by traditional media. Hinojosa has won top honors in American journalism. Latino USA won a Peabody Award in April 2015 for its 2014 episode, Gangs, Murder, and Migration in Honduras. Her awards also include four Emmys, the 2012 John Chancellor Award for Excellence in Journalism, and the Robert F. Kennedy Award for Reporting on the Disadvantaged, among many, many, many other awards. 
Throughout her career, Hinojosa has helped define the conversation about our times and our society with one of the most authentic voices in broadcast. Hinojosa is the author of two books, including A Motherhood Memoir, Raising Raul, Adventures Raising Myself and My Son. She was born in Mexico City, raised in Chicago, and received her BA from Barnard College. Without, Without further, further ado, ado Maria Hinojosa. <laughs> <laughs> so we're really excited to have you for so many reasons, you know. I think for younger Latina writers and podcasters, like you're definitely inspiration for us. And having this memoir in our hands, you know, is just another toolkit for us, you know, of your journey and how you've, you know, just your entire journey from when you arrived in the U.S., uh, which I like related to not as an immigrant myself. I was born here, but my mother came at five years old from Ciudad Juarez through the Bracero program. My grandfather was in it. And so reading it, you know, the, the first couple chapters was so relatable in that way. And it allowed me to engage with my mom in a different conversations and maybe asking her questions I never had before. And so for that, I want to thank you. Oh, thank you. That's, um, you're the first person who has, wow, that, <clears throat> you know, the book is just starting to, to make its way. So I'm just starting to get like comments, but that's the first comment that I got, which I just love, which was, it's leading me to have a different kind of conversation with my mom. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy. Yeah. It, led, it, 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 it made me have a lot of different conversations with my own mom, too. Yeah. yeah. I think our moms are actually super excited that we're talking to you today, too. Oh, they're so excited. They're we so told our excited. Moms. My mom was like, you cannot be late. Like, make sure you're on time. <laughs> that is so cute. You know what? That's also something that's happening, which is a message to um, to, to Latinas, um, which is uh, don't stop doing what you do because I just never stopped, right? And so now I've been doing this for many, many, many years. And so I have multi-generational fans. And that is just beautiful. I, I love that. Also, you know, my mom, who is, I think, 80, que? 80, 83, eh, por ahí, ahí. And she's like, um, she's, of course, my biggest fan. But she's like, I love it when you swear. I see cuando empiezas a decir todas las maldiciones. I love it when you swear, malulis. So... <laughs> Yes. Our mothers live vicariously through us. Sometimes yes. they, they're like, I, hija, no, why? Why would you? But secretly, <laughs> they're like living for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think actually one of the things that that came up in the writing of the book was actually I had to make some amends with mi papá mm -hmm. en paz descanse because I realized that and this is what it is to be Latinas. We all know this, right? Which is there's a lot of stuff that we are managing without even understanding why it's happening, right? So I was oppositional with my father. All teenagers are oppositional. But I was oppositional in a cultural way because I was oppositional against machismo. I was oppositional against patriarchy. I was oppositional against traditional roles. Entonces, como que todo eso se, se envolvió en mi papá. And... And I feel like I, I don't feel, I know I put him through a particular kind of hell um, because I needed to distance myself from being the perfect Mexican girl, right? I was just like, no, 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 no va, no va a pasar. So I, I feel like I would hope that there's another generation. For example, my daughter and I have a very different relationship than my mother and I did. Um, I know 
claro, somos, son dos niños en vez de cuatro. And so, being the youngest of four, I can kind of understand that my mom was like, la verdad de que I don't really have time to hear about your novio or your friend. or So a lot of it was, you know, just figure it out. With my daughter, I we talk about this stuff all the time. We figure it out. There's a lot of intimacy. Um, I think she's going through one of those stages, I understand it, where she's like, oh, my God, Mom, stop talking about sex. Like, please don't, don't do, stop it, stop, stop. And I completely understand that. But um, but other than that, it's a very open relationship. What I did take from my mom is el cariño, ser, tratar de ser muy cariñosa eh, físicamente. Y ella me exige, Jurema, my daughter, demands of me time. She's like, you can't. You know, you can't just be on the phone giving time to this person or that person in, you know, or that interview. I need it, too. Mm, yeah. Wow. This is really refreshing and interesting yeah. because I think we talk about um, living with and many of our listeners also experiencing almost the opposite dynamic with with mothers um, and like you know, not really having conversations so much about sex and sexuality and relationships. Um, yeah, it's something we talk about a lot on the podcast. So it's interesting to hear how you've, um, you know, intentionally mm-hmm. sort of entered that space with your own daughter. Well, so that's another thing that kind of came up. And it's nice to be with the both of you on Locatora, Locatora Radio, because uh, I love the space that you've created. Well, because when I was younger, we didn't have... And we had already lived through, you know, the 60s and the 70s. So we were supposed to be avanzadas, más o menos. O sea, feminism was, you know, I guess let me let me take it back. Like, you have to imagine that during the 1960s, so not too far, not too long ago, the, the issue of rape, it was still, was, there was a big question, like, is it a crime? Mm. Is it a crime? First of all. Then, you know, we got to the point of like, yes. And then it was like, you know, marital rape, date rape. Those things were not even being discussed at all. And the image that we had of rape was also very racialized, always very racialized. And it was always a stranger with a knife at your neck. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's how we understood sexual assault or rape. And it was a big um It was a big logro, right, to be able to get to the point where, again, rape was considered uh, an act of violence, um, a criminal act of violence. So so what ends up happening in the book is that there's this experience that I have in Mexico when I'm quite young. And um, and really all of this kind of like explodes while I'm in the process of processing the writing of this book. It's Kavanaugh. It was my own relationship with my husband. It was an amazing therapist who helped me, Argentinian therapist, um, who helped me to begin to understand some of my own trauma around sex. And it is the ultimate like, oh, shit, no, escape. We, I was raped. <laughs> like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. That is what happened. And, and just kind of the expression of that. So where does that connect to my daughter? Because I was like, in the process of understanding all of this, I was like, oh, because I will get that question from a lot of people like, why are you so 
open with your daughter about sex and sexuality and why do you why did you create that how did you do it and i was like i understood that i created that on purpose because i never wanted her to be raped right mm-hmm. yeah i never wanted her to be put into the position of being unsafe and making decisions uh about you know, my own life, again, in an oppositional, because basically in that moment, I'm, I'm in Mexico and I'm like to my mom and my dad, who are proudly showing me off as an independent American woman, teenager. I know mi hija, I know ella estudia. You know, she doesn't have, well, I did have boyfriends, but I was very <laughs> diligent in my school and I was, you know, and they really wanted to show like that. But then I was like, bueno, ahora me quiero ir sola. I want to go with that, that man because uh-huh. I was 16 and he was 24. Um, and, um, and, and I forced them basically to be like, you can't have me as the perfect independent Mexican daughter because I grew up in the United States. But then when I'm in Mexico, not give me my freedom and respect me as an independent woman. I, I, sadly, I think my mother, who was the one who was there at the time, I think she knew she she knew she had a bad presentimiento about what was about to happen. Uh-huh. And I couldn't see it, which is the other thing that like really moms. Like, I know that there were so complicated. Believe me. I mean, I yeah. we're, we're, we have no es que uno no pelea con sus hijos. I right. do. And, you know, but also there's you got to respect your moms because they, they do know shit. We do know shit. Moms <laughs> know things. And they that's know. what. I, and th- this is part of it too is like mother I know that you're right but part of growing up is allowing me to make the decision and accept the consequences when I knew it was the wrong decision but I made it anyway <laughs> exactly and 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 you know what 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 I hope is that and we make those decisions and we fall and we learn uh, you know the thing is is that you just don't want them to be like life traumatizing like Absolutely. like a rape you know yeah. that that is the kind of thing and and you do survive at least i hope with my book i'm able to have that conversation so that women older and younger can realize which is by the way i'm really happy to be talking to the both of you also because you know the book will likely be pigeonholed as another immigration mm. story. And and it is, and there's a lot of that, but it's like, it's so much more than that. So we actually had a question about that, um, about cre- uh, releasing this memoir, releasing this work, this body of work, post-American Dirt, like in this landscape where Latinx writers, storytellers have been demanding more from the publishing industry. So what has that been like in preparation of releasing this book, this memoir? Well, it feels like, you know, another world away because it was. That was pre-pandemic. Right. Mm. Um, We were traveling around. I mean, I was getting ready for a book launch that would have had me traveling to probably, you know, 15 cities um, in the read up to an election. I had just returned from some very, very traumatic experiences of reporting in Juarez and then in Tapachula on the Mexican border with Guatemala. And so I come back from I come back from a very on the ground seeing refugees, people suffering, and we, you know, come back to this like cultural uh, well, I don't know. I don't I don't it was a moment. It was a cultural moment, a literary moment. 
Um, and we got, you know, completely kind of swept up into it because I had access to all of these people and they said yes. So it's, it's definitely, I mean, to tell you that it hasn't had an impact, it has. What happened with American Dirt, no doubt, has had an impact with how, with what things are happening in terms of my book. Now, I have to say that the publisher, who was the editor-in-chief formerly, who is now the publisher of Simon & Schuster, Jonathan Karp, who is a very powerful person in the world of publishing, um, a, he was behind this book way before American Dirt. Um, I guess I can say, I mean, it's I've never really talked about this, but he was an editor-in-chief who got on the phone with me and my agent when the original book proposal that we wrote got rejected. Because also people think like, Ay, Maria Hinojosa, Ay, it's always like, you know, celebration. No, we got rejected everywhere, hmm. everywhere. So we had to go back and rethink. And there was there was smart reasons for the rejections. Um, but Jonathan Karp got on the phone with me. And for about an hour, we talked about different styles of writing, books, how the how the book selling works, you know, the kind of story that potentially could be told. Um, and that's why then when we rewrite the proposal and the book goes to auction, so the opposite of getting rejected, now we went to auction, um, it was Michelle Herrera Mulligan, uh, Latina editor who had just been hired at Simon & Schuster in a pretty senior role, she she advocated to get this book because I think she understood that with the support of Jonathan Karp, the editor-in-chief, who is now the publisher, the vision for the book, it was going to be a very supported book. Um, and it was understood, I think, from the very beginning that it was not, we did not want this to be a light book. It was not, oh, Maria Nojos is going to tell us about her life, you know, which is cool. I mean, like, I think that's, there's a lot there, but it was a book that was decided, like, this has to be more. And that's what ended up happening. So that's the kind of behind the story and, and why, you know, this relationship with my publisher is quite, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the relationship between the publisher and Janine Cummins, my whole takeaway from the American Dirt situation, um, and I have read the book thoroughly, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, is that <clears throat> it does encapsulate how little we are given the voice to tell our stories, that our stories, um, with some exceptions, because, you know, there is este Sonia Nazario and, um, ¿cómo se llama el libro?, Oscar Nazario, a, a, is it Oscar's Journey? Um, it's the book about the, 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 the movement, the, the child, the movement of children, children leaving Central America. A, so we've had opportunities. That book is a bestseller. It was extraordinary reporting from when she started at the LA Times. But I, I could see how this book was um, written as a thriller. It should have been marketed as a thriller. It should have never been marketed as this is the Grapes of Wrath for Latinos. It should have never been 
um, marketed in that way. And they, they did. I can also completely understand, by the way, my one of my dear friends who got swept up in all of this, Sandra Cisneros, I can completely understand how Sandra would read this book and also feel like there was important storytelling. There was there were human moments in the book because there were. And she did do hard work. She did do research. But then there's this whole other side that she uh, she should have never written that afterward. So she just like como que she yeah, gets all right. kind of swept up in this stuff, and it's like ah. Uh. Sure, sure. Um, so, so for me, I think a lot about people out there think that the author has the last say on everything, and in some cases we do. So I'm not going to tell you, but there have been, yes, there were moments where I was like, no, that is not going to happen. No, that is not going to be the cover. No, that is not the person who's going to be the blurb that is going to be the the largest. No, that blurb has got to go below and this one's got to go. So yeah, I was involved in that. And I think I learned from American Dirt, right? Mm. Um, And I think the difference is, is that because this is my story, and there's factual history, I'm not so worried about that that kind of backlash. I, I'm not I, I'm expecting some kind of backlash, but it's not gonna be like, oh, she's an imposter, you know. Yeah. Because because what I talk about on every other page is what, ladies, I talk about the imposter syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. Which follows us Latinas and Latinos everywhere. It's nuestra sombra. Um so I would just say that that in terms of sombras, the American dirt sombra has definitely, for me, I hope in a positive way so that I, I learned some really positive lessons. Wow. Maria, thank you so much for sharing all of those different layers with us. There's so much to talk about. And as you know, we're in our 20s. We are born and raised in the U.S. We identify as Latinas, as Latinx, and we're in the creative space. We make podcasts and we write, and we have a lot of contemporaries and amigas and homegirls who are, you know, our age or younger even, who are also writing and are journalists and are in the creative space. And, you know, like you're on Twitter and when these things come out and, and these voices of, you know, the women that we look up to, like you or Sandra Cisneros, and we really, um, it's been interesting to kind of just see kind of how the elders have been responding and engaging and talking. And then to kind of have that multi-generational experience on a platform like Twitter or Instagram, where, <laughs> you know, so much can happen on Twitter. <clears throat> and I wanted yeah. to ask you about <clears throat> Twitter specifically, because we do follow you on Twitter. We love following you on Twitter. We think you're great. <laughs> um, so we want to, and we spend time on Twitter and so much of um, the digital journalism that takes place on the platform can be a incredible and informative but there's also this kind of discourse that takes place on the platform that can be very rocky so um i I just wanted to ask you about twitter and just (laughs) whatever you wanted to say about it yeah so i um every time i do i use twitter i'm like i feel new i feel like a virgin (laughs) (laughs) i swear i'm just like 
uh, and I use it as you know very I mean in some sometimes I, I'm very engaged other times I'm kind of away I, I try not to be that person that is responding to everything at all times because then I would be married to Twitter and I would literally lose my family for sure and I could be married to Twitter like it's easy to be married to Twitter or oh, yeah. to Instagram it's very easy it, it is um, so I I try to approach it just like very authentically in many ways. But I have learned my lessons. He metido la pata en grandes formas. Now, um, Black Woman Twitter came after me. Uh, and that was... Ooh, ooh, that was really sad for me. I I was just heartbroken. Um, but I I listened. And, and I did not immediately jerk back which is what happens on twitter right somebody says something you're used to it you're just like oh what motherfucker oh no boom or or you know just like oh you're a troll boom you're you know you're what's it called it you're blocked right you're blocked you know it's it's we're very very reactive in that sense and so what happened in that moment um it was when um it was when we heard the cries of the babies in cages which has been happening since forever, right? Um, they tried to take me <laughs> from my mother mm-hmm. in the 1960s. So uh, was it a cage? I don't know. But they've certainly been taking us for centuries. But we did get that audio and people were talking. And Laura Bush tweeted something that was, you know, um, emotive. And, and Michelle Obama retweeted that and said something like, um, you know, it was very cold. It was like, you know, cold, hard facts. And I was very disappointed with Michelle because I'm very disappointed with Barack on this particular issue. I'm disappointed that he never gave me an interview um, to to look at me eye to eye because I went to school with this guy. Like, I know him. Um, and they they said, look, you cannot, you know, you need to understand that, that you cannot hold Michelle Obama responsible for everything at every moment. And I had to take a pause. At that point, I was doing therapy um, around a couple of issues. By the way, ego is a really complicated one because as Latinas, we need huge, huge egos. Uh-huh. <laughs> Truly. We do. And we also need to be incredibly humble. So it is a it is a dance. Um, it is a constant dance. Um, and so I had to really pause and I listened. There were some people who DM'd me and they said, you don't know how hurt so many of us feel. And then I was kind of like, I didn't realize I had a following. And that was beautiful to realize like, wow, there are many black women who who care about what I think, que, que chulo. Entonces, in that moment, I was like, oh, que no. And I apologized. I went straight up and I was like, listen, I am sorry. I am learning. And that is where I feel like, again, there are places where you can maybe get a, a little bit of a smoothness, smooth, smoothness on Twitter. I am hyper aware of cancel culture. I think American Dirt was, the experience was really hard. What happened to Sandra Cisneros was was horrible. Um, so I appreciate the conversation around elders. And sabes que? Uh, elders, as, you, as it were, I hate thinking that I am one, but okay. 
we make mistakes. We're not perfect. Uh, I'm not going to speak for Sandra. Um, but so I, I, I wish, and I've said this to Sandra, that we had done the interview the next morning. Ella estaba enferma, probablemente tenía calentura, and, um, and, and the emotions were raw. Um, and like I said, I can completely understand how someone can read American Dirt and say, like, it, it humanized. It humanized moments. I can also understand it went over to, you know, trauma porn too much. It was too simplistic. There were things that were, you know, didn't make logical sense, but they make sense if you're writing a thriller, a thriller, which was a page turner. Um, so I've been, the Twitter experience has been like, I could not lose, lose my friendship because of fucking Twitter. Like that's some bullshit, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm, I don't, don't participate or want to be part of cancel culture. Um, I'm against fascism. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm against racism. I'm against anti-Semitism. I'm against anti-Mexican-isms. I'm against anti-Latinx, anti-LGBTQ, my trans family. So if you do that on my Twitter, fuck you. You are canceled. Sure. Right. Back quick. Right. Yeah. But it's another thing. And I, I know, I don't know if you guys know this, but actually I, I don't get a lot of hate on Twitter. It's interesting. I'm not one of those people that people are like, bah, bah. I know I can see the trolls. I can see where they're troll farming and they're very good. They are very well-educated people. They know how to get under your skin, the trolls, but I'm just like, boom, block, 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 block. But other than that, um, I, I don't know why it is that I don't get a whole, whole amount of hatred on Twitter. Um, But it is a thing and it is, and I'm a baby on Twitter. You know, I don't have that, that many followers. So uh, I'm still a baby. Um, and, and there's parts of it that I love, but parts of it that I really hate too. fascinating i saw a tweet uh, not too long ago where there was this comparison made uh between cancel culture and sort of decades in our like news media of of truly canceling people right and saying <laughs> so and so is just done right yeah. like tiger woods is done and it's it's in the headlines and it's on tv and it's in printed newspapers and you know there's and sort of bringing up there has been 
uh, a cancel culture. There has been a, um, and we can name other people, you know, Britney Spears was horrifically canceled. Racist. Exacto. And Exacto. Twitter, Twitter didn't need to exist for that to happen to Britney right. Spears, right? And we, we can list on and on celebrities mostly, right? right. So I, I just wonder too about the magnitude of the cancel culture because we can look at, you know, if NBC says somebody is canceled or if the LA Times says someone's canceled um, or if a million people on Twitter come after Janine Cummings. But I also don't know that Janine lost lost her like stuff. No, 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 no. Um, sorry, there's a dog in the background. Yeah, so I just, I just, I, I found that. It's, it's a bestseller. It, it, it remains, it remains a bestseller. Right. So I thought that was fascinating, right? right. And like, like, do we, re do we recognize that this, this tendency to cut people because of mistakes big humongous or 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 small um do we recognize that it's something that we've been exposed to for many 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 years right um yeah you know you know what you know who's been canceled who? latinos and latinas exactly right this con right right right, <laughs> right. <laughs> right like to me that's what once i was you is about mm -hmm. like if there's something it's 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 the fact that Coño, man, we've been invisible. Like, we've actually been visible, but you make us invisible again. It's like, estamos, you know, I think at one point in the book, I'm like, you know, how many times has Time Magazine put us and it's like the decade of the Hispanics or the decade of Latinos or a Mexica or a Mexica or whatever. Like, we've been on the cover, you know, Time used to be a hugely influential magazine. But where are we? Um... And, and, you know, being invisible, so cancel culture is about making something invisible. Being invisible is actually really bad for your mental health. So that's why I'm so proud of the work that you all are doing. That because you all were like, well, we don't even care. Like, we're going to do it no matter what. We're going we're gonna to take up this space. We're going to make ourselves visible to your invisibility. We're going to up you a notch. And that's what we need. Eso es lo único. There, I mean, yeah, ideally, you know, we own, you know, mega studios and we're making movies for the one out of every four Latinos that go used to buy movie tickets. You know, one right. day we will go back to the movies again because one day we, we, we must, I hope. One day. Um, one day. We, one, one day. day. Um, <clears throat> you know, one out of four movie ticket sales is bought by a Latino or a Latina. Yeah. So... Como puede ser de que, you know, in all, and my daughter is a filmmaker, we would go to the movies all the time. That's what we did. And that films about Latinos or Latinas or that starred, uh, you know, nada. I mean, yes, here or there. So I, ideally, yeah, you know, we, we, we become mega producers. Like my small company, Futuro Media, is growing. I, I believe somebody told me, stop calling it a small company. I'm like, okay, we've been around for a decade. <laughs> You know, we're a multi-million dollar company. We're a nonprofit. We are launching a for-profit side. We're growing. It, we need more of that, more of what you're doing, because al final de cuentas, what we are doing is we're using our voices and our power, which is another message of Once I, uh, Once I Was You. We are using that to answer back, answer back, answer back at all the time. And historically, that's all we could do. Like if you read Stamped, the beautiful book by Ibram X. Kendi, who also wrote the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, mm -hmm. uh, stamped from the beginning. What you understand, it was so beautiful when he just said, the only thing that we've had to respond 
to the narrative that they have created about us is to create our own narrative in response. Right. And many of us do it through art, right? Whether it's through art, whether it's through dance, whether it's through music or drum, you know, lo que sea. And, you know, Frederick Douglass, you know, my, my, my padrino, did it by creating a newspaper. Um, yes, I know he's criticized for being something of an ab- assimilationist, if you really want to get to it, but still he is my constant inspiration mm-hmm. because this is what it looks like. It, it is Jovita Idar, you know, who... Um, ran a newspaper out of El Paso in the early 1900s and was tried to be shut down by the Texas Rangers. And she stood there and said, me cruzan o me cruzan. So we are having to always take back the narrative. And that is, apart from the political power, the people power, the organizing, the narrative, the storytelling, how things are handed down, the manipulation of this, the image that is created of us, Right. So everything that we do, that you do, that I do purposefully, it's to create another image. Yes, I'm a 50-something-year-old boxer. That's right. That's what I do. And I talk about sex. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with that because that's that's how I'm going to change the image. I talk about, you know, being an entrepreneur. I talk about that because that's the image that you need to have of what a Mexican woman from the south side of Chicago who's married to a Dominican man living in Harlem. That's what we look like. That's how we do. That's how we do. We're based in Los Angeles and the Latinx journalists at the L.A. Times have been very vocal. I'm watching. Yeah, you're watching. Right. So that that conversation is going on and we're watching and it's it's huge. And one of the reasons why we love you also so much is because of your Futuro Media Group and the podcasting that you're doing and the way you're taking up space in the podcast world. And we are trying to do the same thing, right? We're a small podcast production company ourselves, Locatora Productions, and we don't see a ton of the U.S. Latinx um, podcasting outside of like what you're doing and what kind of the folks in our Mm -hmm. communities have been working on. There's um, a podcaster that we know who is Latina, um, who's based in London, and she has her Ochenta Press, uh, not in London, in Paris, mm-hmm. and she has her Ochenta Press studios, and so they do trilingual programming in, oh, dude, in Paris. dude, no, I need to meet her. Yeah. yeah, so like, you know, there's Latin, there's like Latinas specifically, mujeres, who are like creating podcast networks, whether it's like in LA, like us, and you in New York, and, you know, Lori in Paris, and I just think it's really cool. And I wanted to ask about Latinas and podcasting specifically and and why you love the space and why you like podcasting. So <clears throat> my career started in radio. Like, um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there were no Latinas on television doing journalism. Mm-hmm. So and just even thinking I could be a journalist wasn't really something that I thought because I never saw it. So invisibility really has consequences. You know, it has a ripple effect. But I started doing radio at the college radio station here at at Columbia University. I was at Barnard, the women's college. And it was actually Twitter before Twitter. It was like Comunidad Twitter. And I think in many places still, La Radio is that. Yes. Oh, yeah. I don't know LA enough, but I know that obviously there are radio stations que contra. It's just like a Mm -hmm. familia, right? It's like really, really tight. We love radio. Right. We love radio. Um, And actually, Latinos and Latinas are committed to radio. So I wish that we, I wish that we had more people who understood like the, the, the business potential um, and that saw us as partners as opposed to, um, 
I don't know, unas locas. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so radio has always been like, it's where I learned how to do my journalism. It's, I understood my voice. I understood the power of voice and sound. I mean, first I just was a disc jockey, a DJ. I played protest music, Musica de la Nueva Canción, all the protest music from the you know, 60s and 70s and 80s. It was all protest music in Latin America. Um, but then when I started to create radio with Scott Simon at, at NPR, mm-hmm. <clears throat> we were doing long-form radio. So it was all about the sound. All about, oh, no, no, you're going to... I mean, I would go into mixes and I would have like... I mean, <laughs> people are going to be like, ay Dios, what? You know, I would I would walk in with like eight reels, eight or nine reels. We had eight or nine reels <laughs> yeah. going in. And you guys are like, what are reels? Well, okay, whatever. Look it up on the internet. <laughs> um, so it was all about creating sound using moments of people's voices when you would hear them tremble or, or the pause right before they started to cry or the joy. And so... I always understood radio as a way to get into people's hearts, really, through their ears. And um, and then I ended up doing a lot of television, which also, if you're doing long-form television, it's really cool. If you're doing live television at CNN, it's really cool. It's really fun. But this is something that stays. And when I created Futuro Media, I'm trying to drop the group. I think it's better just Futuro Media. But when I created Futuro Media, I was going to focus on podcasting and public television. And people were like, are you crazy? Like, nobody's listening to the radio. Nobody's looking at public television. Public television, sadly, they lost us because they did not renew their grants with us. So that's a thing. Mm-hmm. That's that's a thing. I'm not happy about it. I should be on public television. Mm-hmm. I should have a primetime show on public television. Pero yes. Bueno. yes, you should. I should. You should. I should. Ahora quiero estar allí. I don't know, you know, but whatever. Um, but people were like, no, radio, it's going to get back. And I think that for Latinos and Latinas and in, in general, black indigenous people of color uh, in general, podcasting is still an open market. So I know, uh, again, I keep on telling you how proud I am of you because you're doing this mm-hmm. younger. It took me many years to get to that point. So keep going. Don't give up. I mean, I <laughs> I learned um, by talking to every single Latina entrepreneur who I could meet. Uh, and I would ask them, how do you do it? Because this is really terrifying. Like when you have staff and you have payroll holy Jesus Christ, you know, and it's like, whoa. And they would just say, you just, one of them is a triathlonist. And she said, you just keep on breathing. Like when you're swimming or scuba diving, you just never stop breathing. And I was like, that is the stupidest piece of advice. (laughs) You got to be kidding me. Y hasta cierto punto, you know, you just do. You have to be like, okay, here we go. It's this whole other situation going to have to figure out how to move through it and and I hope that you just don't give up that's my message to all of the Latinos and Latinas um, who are thinking about moving into this space it is hard it is scary one of the things that I would say to myself when it was really hard is I'd say I would say okay who else is having a really fucked up day in the media space who else is having real challenges I would be like, hmm, Oprah. Mm. 
Because at that point, Oprah had launched her channel. She had borrowed, you know, whatever. I think it was five hundred million or seven hundred million. It wasn't her money. You know, the ratings were tanking. She hadn't found her groove. And I'm like, okay, she's having a bad day. And look at so I can, you know, so we can do this perspective. Yeah. Wow. Um, I feel like we just got like our podcast like bendición. bendición yes. I'm like, we just got the Maria Hinojosa bendición. Wow. You did. You did. You're the should I should I mark it radio? Like yes, please. <laughs> I feel blessed. Well, I'm trying. No, no. Actually, it's very interesting. You know, we're trying to sell the book. So, um, you know, it's all well and good. But until Once I Was You is a bestseller, I am not going to rest. Um, You know, this morning I woke up and I was like, are you anxious? And I was like, no, you were anxious many years ago when you had like real, you know, your friend was dying of cancer. Your dad was dying of Alzheimer's. Your marriage was at a tipping point. Like, I seek anxiety. I'm much calmer now, but I'll, but then I said to myself, but I'll be really calm when Once I Was You is on the bestseller list. And I'm like, how horrible. But I really do. We're, we're trying to find ways to sell the book, to promote the book, to... You know, so so like, you know, bendiciones, like, do is that the way I got to get like, if you buy the book, you know, you enter this, you know, you'll get uh, an individual bendicion from. So I need you, mis Latinas queridas, to help me figure out, give me ideas for what to do. I was just going to say, I was going to say this. um, I think there is definitely a desire for podcast madrinas out there. So if you wanted to (laughs) become everyone's podcast madrina and, uh, you know, mentor the younger generation. Yeah, I think we would sign up ASAP. Absolutely. uh, Just saying. But Uh I. I had a question. Yeah, Yeah. I had a question. Um, Going back, you know, in the beginning of our conversation, you said that you had a feeling once I was you was going to be pigeonholed as an immigration story or immigration novel. What is your vision for once I was you? What do you want the public to take away from it? So um, my vision is that that once I was you becomes one of the important intersectional books written by a Latina in the United States of America. Because to me, Once I Was You is really an intersectional book. Um, Who is my best friend, Madrina, who keeps me straight is an African-American woman named Sandy Ratley, who is, um, you know, my, my, my wisdom guide and my hermana. Yeah. And and my colleague, actually, we work together and she's a best friend of my husband. I mean, we're very tight. She's she's a black woman who has taught me so much about understanding my power because she is a black woman. Um, you know, it, there is the intersectionality of, un, of of me being a part of the civil rights era. So it is a feminist book. In my view, it is a it is a, a, a feminism from a woman of color's perspective, right? Um, it is a, a history book, right? Um, and it's history in the sense of taking back our history, and therefore giving us information um, to empower us to have the dialogue. Um, I hope I don't know I can't remember now, but I hope that my my connection to the um, to the queer uh, specifically LGBTQ and 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 to the trans community, I'm not so sure it comes out in this book, or I can't remember, but 
um, they're a very important part of kind of my experience. And I hope that, you know, I've been told by um, uh, by Gabi Rivera, who, you know, whose handle is Quirky Love. Weekend, that I'm like a, a tia, you know, I'm the queer people's, queer Latinx tia, you know, that people um, see themselves in me. And, and eso me da mucho, you know, I, I love that. So I, I would hope that it's, that yes, for Latinos and Latinas, that we, you are going to have a very sp- particular relationship to it. And I'm so happy about that because we need that desperately when we're being made invisible and reduced to, you know, being criminals by this administration, every single one of us. So we need that. We need that connection to our souls. But I am a product of the South Side of Chicago. Martin Luther King, for me, yeah, I know. Yeah, he's like an old and, you know, but but he was actually somebody who I saw and spoke to me like he made me think like, damn, if he can be a leader and he's black, then like maybe I can, you know, um, I know crazy, but we needed that because we were so invisible. Um, you know, the feminism, the the being a survivor of sexual of sexual assault, of rape, I would hope that, you know, or my cannabis community, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by the way, Um you know, yes. my cannabis community that I hope that they understand, right, that, that um, you know, I, I really, I mean, you know, I, I was not that post 9-11 with PTSD. Mm-hmm. My husband was the one like, and I was like, no, no, I don't think I can. I think. And then eso, eso me, me dio la posibilidad to fucking calm down. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. So I'm dying for this book to be part received in the. I mean, it's a throwaway line. It was a bigger part of the book. They let it to be just a throwaway. But I'm like, I am a kind of public person, and I am revealing that I consume cannabis. And there's very little of that, uh, like Latina mm-hmm. uh, marijuana representation, and I love it. I'm here for it. Oh hell yes, because no es nada malo no es it's another one of those things that were made you know when i realized that like abuelitas in mexico city have been growing have been growing la la motita atrás right, right, and taking right, right. the leaves and taking the leaves and making el untamiento because they put yes. it into alcohol and then they use it for arthritis yep. so i'm like come on now Come on now. My so, grandma Nacha once brought me like a tincture from Mexico mm-hmm. and it was ca- cannabis and peyote oil. Whoa. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> good stuff. Very good stuff. For so pain relief. That, yes. So that would be my hope is that the different communities. Oh, oh, I have a dream that the Vietnamese community, the Asian community writ large, but of course, you know, to, to, to take it apart a little bit more. I, I write a lot about the experience of the Vietnamese community because they are blanketed again, kind of, you know, with a big swath. And as a journalist, I'm like, I'm not going to do that. So I'm hopeful that like it gets into the hands of Vietnamese writers and authors and journalists and that they support it. And so that's my dream. That's really my dream is that it, um, it is that the home is with Latinos and Latinas, but that we are intersectional yeah. And so then it grows Absolutely. like that. 
There's yeah. a, a piece in your book as well where you talk about like walking away from CBS or like a major contract and the benefits and the stability. And I know for us as entrepreneurs, as creatives, and also our listeners ask us all the time about becoming small business owners because so many Latinas are small business owners and have hustles or want to go into business on their own full time. So I wanted to ask about that that piece of the story and that piece of the book and how do you decide, right, to walk away from stability when it's something that is so emphasized for us? Get a good yeah. job, be That's diligent. Like one of the makers of success for immigrants. Yeah. And immigrant children, you know, is like the stability, the paycheck, the nine to five, the health trabajo. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. I realized, I realized that I could stay at a place like CBS. I was being told all over the place, stay, stay, stay. But I think part of what was happening was that something inside of me was dying. And and it was, in fact, the creative, the artistic, the rebel. Um, and that is where we as Latinas, we really have to stay in touch with that. That rebel, creative, inspirational, todo eso es lo que nos va a salvar. It's going to save us. I have, I know many Latinas who have made decisions about working in those high-powered companies and... I worry about their souls. Mm -hmm. I do. I, I do. And I love, you know, I know them. I love them. But I worry about their souls because it's been a long time since I've been in those very white male dominated spaces. Right. I don't have those pleitos anymore. Right. Yeah. What What did happen was that following that kind of independent streak allowed me to make the best decision that I made. One of the best decisions that I made in my life, which was to marry my husband, Herman Perez an artist, independent from the Dominican Republic, Afro, Latino, indigenous, Taino. Um, and he has such an independent streak because he was an artist and always teased and menospreciado because the Dominican Republic can be hard for a, a sensitive artistic man. Um, and so he's the one who was just like your, your root. And that's why the kind of independence... <clears throat> he fostered that, which leads to surround yourself with people who are going to support you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people, as you know, who are even going to be close to you, who will find a, bueno, Herman calls them pincha globos. You know, pincha globos que siempre van a estar. You're going to do what? You're going to start your own company? I know, están locas. I love that, locatora. I know, están locas. <laughs> I, you're going to do what? Vas a hacer qué? Mm -hmm. Vas, no, qué? So, yeah, we have to listen to that voice and trust it. Right. Wow. Thank you for Thank that. you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask you a question about, because we get this a lot, you know, I think we're in the, the era of self-care and we're talking about it. And especially the way, you know, women of color practice self-care. And so during this pandemic, our self-care has had to shift, evolve, change. For instance, for me, my self-care was getting my nails done, not doing that anymore, you know. And so my question is for you, like, what does your self-care look like? Uh, during this pandemic in general has it shifted at all from the before times to now so i think you know that i'm a survivor of covid yes yes so um you know from 
March 20th to um, basically the beginning of May, it was a really challenging time. And I was not strong and I was having a real time uh, because I'm one of those people who was out of the house, you know, 630, I was boxing in the gym, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so I had to, there was a whole recalibration, which was just, you know, there was, I had fever for about 30 days. So there was times when I just barely could not move. Now that I'm fully healed and now that New York has opened up a bit more, um, I have self-care is super important. So it starts in the morning. The very first thing I do, well, I'll be honest. The first thing I do is I do check social media. It's bad. I put in my <laughs> headphones. I start, you know, I'm, I try to do it for about just two or three minutes. Just como ver que onda con el mundo. Yeah, yeah. And then I'll put in my meditation app and I'll go into a meditative state for about an hour Sometimes when I need it more, I'll just lay in bed, won't do anything just for 10 minutes, just just that. But other times I'm meditating, I'm chanting mantras, I'm doing sound therapy, I'm and I'm moving slowly. I'm taking care of me in that moment. I left out my lemons from the night before. I left out my decaf already ready and set. I'm watering my plants. I'm spending some time at the altar. I'm getting ready for the day. Um, and now that I was able to connect with um, a badass group of people, by seven o'clock in the morning, I'm boxing in the park. So I'm in the park. I'm connected to nature. I'm seeing wildlife. You know, I mean, I walk into my Harlem Park. I might see a raccoon, an egret, an eagle, a hawk. Um, a blue jay, a woodpecker, just in the time that I walk my, out of my house and a block to where we're working out. So I spend an hour working out. The workout now, I found this great group of people where we're dancing, kickboxing, boxing, um, and, and dancing and just having a great time. Um, yeah. And then, uh, and then, you know, when it's not the summer, I often take a lot of baths, a lot of Epsom salt baths. That's something that I do with mis velitas. Mm -hmm. And self-care also looks like um, healing. So, for example, I developed tendinitis because I had stopped working out for so long because of COVID. And then I developed tendinitis. So, you know, going to the physical therapist, devoting myself to that, you know, hour and more than, you know, 90 minutes. That's a big chunk of my day to doing that you know, doing the acupuncture, doing the stretching. So there's, there's, there is quite a bit of self-care. Um, and, and also being, trying to be gentle with myself, um, focusing on abundance, on gratitude. I mean, you guys, I hate to say you guys, you mujeres know it, that right now this is a really scary time. Mm-hmm. As a journalist who's very public, you know, I do. And I'm just like, calmate, calmate, yeah, tranquila. Right. Be thankful. Look, your husband is here. You're still married. You love him. He loves you. You have children who they are frustrated with you, but they love you, <laughs> you know, because we're we're living on top of each other. Right. Straight up. Yeah. Um. So then I'm just like gratitude, 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 yeah. gratitude. 
another light one song of the summer for you what are you listening to what are you loving what gets you moving what gets you happy what's your summer anthem i can't give you the name of any one song because i'm really bad with songs like like I'll know it and I'll be like, oh, that's my, and then my daughter will be like, that's that person. I'm like, how do you know that? Because like, I don't know. Antes sí, antes sabía, no yeah, sé yeah, nada. Yeah, yeah. So actually what, what my anthem is, is I created a gratitude playlist. Okay. Actually, I went on Twitter and I said, people, I'm starting a gratitude playlist. Help me with, you know, with things that I can listen to. And so it's a gratitude playlist with a lot of rhythm. Um, and so right now, to be honest with you, like when we're working out, what we're, my, my trainer is from Senegal. And so it's all African music with a serious, serious, uh, rhythm. Uh-huh. So I'm yes. just doing a lot of Senegalese African dancing and rhythm. Um, anything that has a rhythm, um, you know, anything that is a old school salsa and merengue, I'm there for it, whether it's Juan Luis Guerra, Cuatro Cuarenta, or, you know, Hector Lavoe, yes. or, you know, like old school, you know, Ruben Blades. Mm-hmm. It's Blades, by the way. It's not Blades. It's <laughs> I say Blades. I, say Blades. I, I say Blades. Is a no, Blades. No, I know. I did too. <laughs> And then we finally sat down and I was like, what up? And he's like, it's Blades. It's Blades. All right. okay. It's Blades. <laughs> I know. Um, so heard it here. Breaking. So, so <laughs> I, I, you know, what, sometimes it'll be El Trio Los Panchos, which is super, yes, old, super school. old school. You know, um, I also will just put on the radio. And so whatever. So, you know, that one, she's a. That one. <laughs> Which one? Oh, bad and, oh bougie. bad and bougie. See, I can't even tell. Oh, I mean, what I am listening to right now for sure, I can't even believe it. Is WAP. WAP, yes. Yes. WAP for all WAP. of our listeners. Yes. WAP, the new Cardi B, Megan The Stallion collab that we're all bumping. We're all yeah. living for WAP. I that love that like, you love WAP. Okay, except there's, here's the thing. Tell us, tell us, tell us. By the way, I love Cardi B. That's the one interview that I'm still waiting to get when people ask me what the, who's the person and I want to talk politics with Cardi B. Yeah, I want to yes. talk politics. I want to talk sleep with Cardi B because I don't understand how she doesn't sleep because she's <laughs> up at four in the morning. I'm just like, hot. um, so WAP, okay, wet ass pussy. Yes. Okay. So yes, yes, but you know what? Somebody's got to make that happen. Yep. So I my critique of that is that I I want a little bit more recognition that for some of us, yes, if we're lucky and thank God I'm still, you know, yes, I'm, I'm lucky in that way, even though, yes, as you get older, things change. Yes. But eso no pasa nada más porque pasa. Right. Right. Eso no pasa nada más porque pasa. The person has to put in work. The person has to put in work, right? Whether it's yourself, because you're going to go into your own self, okay, then you got to do your own work. Or whether you're going to be pleasuring with somebody else, then there's got to be so it can't just be like, oh man, we're walking around hot all the time. No, we're walking around with a, we're walking around with a lot of stuff that we're taking care of, right? Cardi B's walking around with a lot of worries. She's worrying about her business. She's worrying about how she's going to pay all these people. She's worrying. She's worrying about a lot of things. So yes, I love that there are so many sex positive, especially Latinas and Afro Latinas, who are we're super sex positive. Cheche Luna has been very inspirational for me. Um, but again, it's like, 
you you have to bring out that desire in me. Sure. You have yeah. to bring out that desire. I have to be willing to connect with my Oshun and open up. Absolutely. I have yeah. to, you know, the, the goddess of pleasure. I have to open up to her. Pero tú también. Pone tu parte. So that's the only thing, my critique of WAP, now that WAP, now that you guys have it, is they needed to recognize the work that the other partner needs yep. to put in. Agre but that I agree with, yes. I just would like to point out that this is the exclusive that Maria Hinojosa <laughs> shared. She's got a WAP on Locatora Radio, friends. You heard it here first. This is the exclusive. Maria Hinojosa, uh, award-winning journalist, author of Once I Was You, a memoir of love and hate in a torn America. Thank you so much for being with us today. Where can our listeners pick up Once I Was You and get to reading? Well, I think it's on the Simon & Schuster website. You can pre-order right now. It comes out September 15th. Um, so yeah, if you go to any of my social media, Instagram, uh, Twitter, or on Facebook, um, you can find the link there. Um, I'm, I'm really desperate to try to get the pre-orders up because we have to show strong numbers. And it takes like five times of mentioning the book to people before they decide to actually do it. Um, but yeah, so it, it's out there. Take a picture of yourself with the book when you have it. Yeah, screen, you know, tag me. We're, but yes, I love speaking with the both of you. That's why I want to come back because I, I just love everything about what you're doing. A a a absolutely you. everything. Thank you. Thank and you I so love much. your bedrooms too. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. A radiophonic novella, Locatora Radio, hosted by Mala Munoz and Dios FM. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. 
I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net.